challenge. Let's stand together, and uh, we are looking at a very familiar story in the Bible for many of us. It's the story of Zacchaeus from Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And uh, I'm going to be reading it for you, and um, this is what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. And on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. So we hurried and came down and received him gladly, joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd, they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray together. Father, again, we are so grateful for your love for us in Jesus Christ, the exhibition of it the extravagance, the generosity, the graciousness, the loving kindness, and for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that enables us to become the sons and daughters of God, and that same Holy Spirit that enables us to participate, to be co-laborers together with you, with what you are doing, Lord, in our lives and in this room today, and for those online today, and for our world We are deeply grateful. And now we ask that that same Holy Spirit would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand. And Lord, as we leave this place in a strange environment called COVID-19, that you would help us to find practical ways and Lord, meaningful ways to show that we are Christ's disciples. We are your followers. We name the name of Jesus. And we would do so in our marriages and in our friendships and our relationships. We would do that in our neighborhoods and in our communities where we get our services. And Lord, that you would help us, we pray. And we ask all of this in Christ's glorious, wonderful name. Amen. Why don't you be seated? Now, for all of us, you, that are around Pastor Kevin's age, and who went to Sunday school as a kid and grew up in church, you'll remember this rhyme that has been probably indelibly stamped upon your memory. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. 
And as the Lord was passing by, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I want to go to your house for tea. Yes. Now, I'm not sure that that song, that little ditty, that rhyme is even politically correct. But I'm sure that someone in England created it because I think the we and the T gives it away. But seriously, seriously, there is a miracle in the story, in the text that we just read. And, and if we pay close attention to the text, we will actually see the miracle that is there. So let's begin this morning with a question. Have you, have we ever wondered what drove Zacchaeus up the tree? What would cause a presumably well-educated, high-profile, well-to-do person risk the embarrassment and the ridicule in broad daylight to climb a tree? Now, our text suggests to us that it was, first of all, a curiosity that actually drove Zacchaeus up the tree. We are told quite simply in verse 3 that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But the question is, why? Why? Why did he want to see who Jesus was? What made him curious about Jesus? I'm going to suggest this morning that the answer to that question may be connected to what happened in the previous chapter in Luke's gospel, chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. We have there the story of the healing of the blind man Bartimaeus from Jericho. He was our person in crisis on June the 7th, a couple of weeks ago. The late great preacher E.K. Bailey gives a dramatic twist to our story. Bailey takes us on a journey if we use our imagination this morning as we follow Zacchaeus and we observe him as on his route as he collects taxes several weeks earlier before our text. It's early morning. Zacchaeus wakes and gets ready to meet the day. He leaves his house and he pulls out his iPhone to check the appointments and the names and the addresses of the people he plans to see. And so it's not long before we are, we are at his first stop. As he approaches, he can't help but notice that the place is dilapidated. The paint is peeling, there are weeds everywhere, the wooden steps look like they, were, they are about to collapse any moment, and the property is in desperate need of repair. But that doesn't matter to Zacchaeus. All he is concerned about is next to this person's address are these words, unpaid taxes. He knocks on the door, and with the eerie moan of an Alfred Hitchcock movie, the door swings open. On the other side is a frail, blind man. 
The blind man asks, who's there? And the answer comes, Zacchaeus, I'm here to collect taxes. Your taxes for the Roman government. In a trembling voice, Bartimaeus begins to explain his inability to pay. He said, I have no family. I do not receive a pension and there are no social services to help the blind. I want to pay my taxes, Mr. Mr. Zacchaeus. If you will just give me 30 days, I'll find the money. I don't know how, but I will find the money if you'll just give me 30 days. And so Zacchaeus is caught between money and mercy. And he says to Bartimaeus, it's not my usual way of doing business, but I will give you 30 days. But if in 30 days you do not show me the money, you will not only be blind, you will be homeless. Well, the 30 days pass quickly. And on the 31st day, like 30 days before, Zacchaeus leaves his house and he accesses his iPhone and takes notice that this is the day that he is going to return to the frail blind man's address. He squares his shoulders, he looks up into the bright sunshine and resolves no sob stories today. Either he is going to pay or he is going to be thrown in prison. And as Zacchaeus approaches the house, he notices that the house has been painted. The lawn has been mowed, flowers have been planted, and the steps are fixed. He knocks on the door, and a man with piercing eyes and authority in his voice answers. And Zacchaeus says, Zacchaeus says, I'm sorry, sir, but I'm looking for Bartimaeus. And the man who answers says, that would be me. You don't understand, Zacchaeus said, the man that lived here 30 days ago was frail and blind. I'm the man. I was here 30 days ago. And Bartimaeus says, Mr. Zacchaeus, do you got a moment? Come in and have a seat. I want to tell you a story. You see, one day a man told me that Jesus was coming to Jericho. And so I went, and sure enough, there was this noise, and I asked, what's going on? And they said it was Jesus, so I called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But the people tried to ignore me, so I yelled it even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And someone told me to be quiet, and they didn't want me to embarrass them, but I called it again, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, and Jesus stopped. And he came over to me, and he touched my eyes. And Jesus was the first person I saw when I opened my eyes. You see, Mr. Zacchaeus, it's like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was blind, but now I see. That's what happened. Oh, by the way, Mr. Zacchaeus, here are your taxes. Have a great day. As the door closed and as Zacchaeus walked away, he thought, 
this is someday. A frail blind man who can see. One day maybe I could meet Jesus. Maybe Jesus can do something for me. Now, of course, whether it happened like that or not, we don't know. Probably not. But it does make sense that Bartimaeus' healing got the attention of the people of Jericho and Zacchaeus along with them. But it made him curious enough to want to see who Jesus was. I also will suggest to you that desire and human longing drove Zacchaeus up that tree. He's rich. Italian shoes, tailored suits. His money is invested, his plastic is golden. He lives the way he flies, business class. He's young. He pumps away fatigue at the gym and slam dunks old age on the court. His belly is flat. His eyes sharp, energy is his trademark, and death is an eternity away. He's powerful, and if you don't think so, just ask him. You got questions? He's got answers. You got problems? He's got solutions. You got dilemmas? He's got opinions. He knows where he's going, and he's going to be there tomorrow. He's the new generation. And the old had better pick up the pace or pack in their bags. And he has mastered the three P's. Property, prosperity, and power. This is how Max Licato describes the rich young ruler. But that may also describe our person in crisis today, Zacchaeus, at least on the outside anyway. Now, we are not given the circumstances around Zacchaeus' life. The one thing that Luke does tell us is that he is rich. But I think we all know that wealth is not necessarily a liability. But it becomes one when we begin to believe that wealth can satisfy our human longing. Mariel Barbary wrote this about human longing. Human longing, we cannot cease desiring. And this is our glory and our doom. Desire, it carries us, it crucifies us. Delivers us every day to a battlefield where on the eve the battle is lost. But in the sunlight, does it not look like a territory ripe for conquest, a place where even though tomorrow we die, we build empires doomed to fade to dust as if the knowledge we have of their imminent fall had absolutely no effect on our eagerness to build them now. 
We are filled with the energy of constantly wanting that which we cannot have. And we are abandoned at the dawn on the field littered with corpses. We are transported until our death by projects that are no sooner completed than they must be renewed. Yet how exhausting it is to be constantly desiring. We aspire to pleasure without the quest. To a blissful state without beginning or end where beauty could no longer be aim or project but the very proof of our nature. Human longing. Desire. Blaise Pascal hundreds of years ago said that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, every man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And that void, that God-shaped vacuum, that vacated space that only God can fill, was crying out inside of Zacchaeus. And every human person, you, me, all of us have one. And we search and search to fill it. Now, maybe this is one of the reasons why Luke tells us in our text that Zacchaeus was rich. That he, like a lot of us, try filling the space with stuff. But he was finding, as we do, that he was still not satisfied. Trying to fill that void, that God-shaped vacuum, that space with anything other than God is like trying to put a square peg in a round hole. It just doesn't work, and until God fills it, it remains vacant because the writer to Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in our hearts, and yet so we cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. So maybe, maybe human longing, maybe desire was what drove him up the tree to see who Jesus was. And then there is the crowd. It seems that the crowd drove him up the tree as well. Our text tells us in verse 3 that he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Now, there are two nuances in relation to the crowd that we want to consider this morning. First of all, externally. Externally, it is a huge crowd. Zacchaeus is not the only person that is curious. And there were many people who were interested in what was happening because Jericho did not always experience this kind of action. And so it was exciting to see what was going on. And then there's this. There would have been other people like Zacchaeus who wanted to see who Jesus was. And there's also this. 
the dynamics, the physical dynamics of the crowd made it next to impossible for someone like Zacchaeus to actually get next to Jesus or to see Jesus because we are told in our text that it was not just crowd dynamics that kept Zacchaeus from seeing who Jesus was, but that he was small in stature. I imagine Zacchaeus being somebody like Danny DeVito. You bunch of sinners that you all know who that is. I'm just kidding. Danny DeVito. Externally. Zacchaeus has been literally pushed to the margins of the crowd. The crowd that is there, he is on the fringe, on the edge, trying to look in. But he is also on the fringe and on the edge and on the margins internally. Now, one of the four specific things that Luke tells us in our text about Zacchaeus is that he was a chief tax collector. Now, historical sources other than the Bible tell us that tax collectors were people who were considered dishonest. They were considered to be crooks who falsified tax bills. Either they skimmed a little off the top or they actually added a little bit to the top for themselves. John the Baptist actually confirms this in Luke's Gospel chapter 3 and it tells us there that the tax collectors were coming to John the Baptist to be baptized and, and they asked him, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you were authorized to do. So our person in crisis is not just a tax collector. He is the chief tax collector. Which probably means that he was considered to be at the top of the pyramid collection scheme. Now, to add insult to injury, and to make matters worse, is that Zacchaeus is a... Jew, he's Jewish, and he is collecting taxes from his own people for the hated Roman government, which did not exactly qualify him as candidate for business person of the year in Jericho, I'm sure. In a word, the crowd, the people, despised tax collectors. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to suggest that any person, you, me, Zacchaeus, any person that feels despised or hated at the same time probably feels a sense of emotional and relational loneliness and isolation. And I think it is possible that loneliness and isolation is another thing that drove Zacchaeus up the tree. You see, when any of us, you, me, when we feel lonely and we feel isolated, it can cause us to act out of character. It can cause us to do something rash like shimmying up a tree in a business suit or in a business robe. 
But the same road, the same road that led Zacchaeus to the pinnacle of success and wealth, also dead-ended him in the cul-de-sac of loneliness and isolation. He was as empty as old Mother Hubbard's cupboard. Maybe. Maybe he was tired of being despised and hated and finding even with his economic status it didn't compensate for it. Maybe he, fe- maybe he heard that Jesus had a soft spot for sinners and tax collectors. Maybe it was all of these or none of these or some of these that drove Zacchaeus up the tree. But we do know this, that Zacchaeus went up the tree to see who Jesus was and Jesus went out on a limb to reach him. Sometimes we, you and I, we go through life or can go through life like we are tourists just passing through. And we never ever see people, we just see bodies, faces. Well, Jesus on his way through this life was not the eternal tourist. He did not pass without seeing Zacchaeus. And the last line of our text says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That God, in Jesus Christ, was seeking Zacchaeus and is seeking you and I much more intently than Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus or you and I seek Jesus. Now, the story of Zacchaeus is unique to Luke's gospel. He is the only one that has the story of Zacchaeus. But Luke is also the only one that has the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, the prodigal son. Now, we need to pay attention to the word lost. Because the word lost does not just mean somebody who is eternally doomed. In our text, actually, it literally means being in the wrong place. And so we read in Genesis chapter 3 verse 9 that the very first question, the very first words that Adam hears from God after they've sinned is this question, where are you? Implying that they are in the wrong place. But these words, where are you, come from a heart that is intently searching, yearning. These are the words of a father. Looking down the road for his wayward son. This is a searching mother looking for her lost child. This is a shepherd as he calls for a lost sheep. And when we find something in the wrong place, we return it to its proper place. The interesting thing about Luke's 
parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep is that they are unaware of their lostness, like Zacchaeus and like the prodigal, but eventually they become aware of their lostness. And what follows in our text then is interesting. The people grumbled. Now, that would never be us, of course. None of us, none of us would ever think of grumbling. But they grumbled and said, he has gone, Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, I just want to say in passing that beware, beware, that when you and I get involved with non-Christians, and we begin to reach out to non-Christians, there is going to be some people who are going to become critical. Be prepared for criticism from a few self-righteous. Be ready. Be ready. Now, the crowd's reaction to Jesus' choice of a host did not meet with popular approval. They judged Jesus because he had chosen to be a guest of a man who was a sinner. So we could say that Zacchaeus, I'll get it out in a moment, Zacchaeus went out on a limb to see Jesus, but Jesus went out on a limb to reach him. And then there's this. You ready? When we put our trust in Jesus, we go out on a limb. And we cut it off. And we watch the tree fall over. Did you get it? The tree fell over in our text. When Zacchaeus stands up and says to Jesus, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have ripped anybody off, I will pay them back four times. Matthew 19, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if you're wondering what the eye of a needle is, okay, it's not the eye of a needle. The eye of the needle was in the big gates of Jerusalem or the cities, they had these great big gates. And in the evenings, they closed them, but they also had a smaller gate. And that smaller gate is called the eye of the needle because a loaded camel in a caravan would have to literally kneel down and crawl through the eye of the needle to get through the gate into the city because they would never open the large gates at night. And Jesus says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, remember what I told you? There's a miracle in the text. And if we pay attention, we will see it. Here's the miracle. A camel is going through the eye of a needle 
when Zacchaeus stands up and says, I give half of everything I have to the poor, and if I've taken from anybody unjustly, I restore four times. Now, I've often felt in reading the Gospels that Jesus at times was a little hard on the rich, on the wealthy. But if our text teaches us anything, it teaches us this. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus. So let me conclude with this. Three groups of people. Maybe some of us in the room, maybe some of us watching online, you're curious about who Jesus is. You have a sense, a longing. There is an emptiness. There is a, there's a hole that you really can't identify what it is but you can't satisfy it either. Because only Jesus can. Secondly, maybe there's some of us today that we feel that we're out on a limb. We're out there and we're not sure of our footing. And if the truth were told, we feel an amount of uncertainty. We, We feel some insecurity. We feel vulnerable. And you're out on that limb. And we're not sure what to do. You're not sure what to do. But I want to remind all of us today this. That Jesus Christ has already gone out on a limb for us. Jesus climbed up another tree, the cross, and went out on a limb for us. And I want to remind us also this morning that Jesus will do the exact same thing. So, if you are curious, you have an emptiness. Or if you feel like you are out on a limb... I want you to know that Jesus will reach to you again. I want you to pause for a moment. And now I want to speak to the third group. Maybe Jesus is asking you, me, us, to go out on a limb for him today. Maybe God is asking you to take a risk. Maybe God is asking you to make a leap of faith. That God is asking you to make a choice, to make a decision. That God is asking you to do something. And you're reluctant. 
You're dragging your heels. You're dragging your heels because if you do it, if you take that leap of faith, if you take that risk, people are going to think you're crazy. Like shimmying up a tree. In Luke chapter 19. But for those of you that are being asked by Jesus to do something today. You also know that it won't go away. You've tried to suppress it. You've tried to ignore it. But it keeps coming up in the back of your thoughts. And Jesus will not let you go. Now for some it may be to say yes to his offer of love in Jesus Christ. But I got a feeling this morning I'm talking to some people specifically. This wasn't in my plan of how I was going to end the service, but yesterday I came to the church and I was thinking about this morning and just kind of getting prepared in my head and my heart. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say there are some people who are watching online or sitting in the room and Jesus is asking you to do something. And your spouse may not even know. Your best friend may not even know. You may have not have told anybody, but in your heart of hearts, Jesus is asking you to do something. And you haven't done it yet because you're afraid or you're reluctant or people are going to think you're crazy. And so I just want to pray for us this morning. So in the room, I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for a moment of privacy. If you've got your children with you, it's okay to keep them open. If I'm talking to somebody online today. And if it's you that I'm talking to, matter of fact, forget me. If it's the Holy Spirit that is talking to you today, it's time to say yes. Father, for all those that are curious about who Jesus is. And those today, Father, that <clears throat> there's an emptiness, there's a void, there is a space, there's a longing, there's a desire, and we have tried to fill it, but nothing will satisfy it. We feel like Bono and you too, we still haven't found what we're looking for. Lord, I pray that you would make yourself known to them today, to us. Lord, for those today that are out there, they're out on a limb. They're taking some risks. And while they're out on that limb, they're feeling a little bit vulnerable and fearful and uncertain. Lord, I pray today that your peace that passes all understanding would attend unto their hearts and their lives. Give them peace. And Lord, give them courage and strength to persist. And for those this morning whom you are 
talking to, whom you are asking to take a chance, to do something, or to go somewhere, or whatever it is that it is characterized as. And they're afraid, they're reluctant, they'll, they think people are going to think I'm crazy. Lord, I pray today that you will just continue now to give them grace to say yes and to make the first step. And when we step off that edge into what looks like an abyss of emptiness, once we make that step of faith, you will be there to give us firm footing and solid foundation. So I pray that you would help us today. And we give you praise and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.